And we're going to find that in our verses this morning. And we explored the ideas of just our entire lives, our, our bodies, our souls, our minds, our spirit being set aside specifically for the purposes of the Lord in righteousness and holiness. And we had Patty Height with Out of Egypt Ministries come and speak with us about our sexual purity. Um, but this idea of being a vessel for honor, it's, it goes beyond just our sexual identity, our sexual purity. Uh, it's who you are as a child of God. And so we're going to talk about what does this mean? What does it mean to be a vessel of honor? Let me read these verses to you. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'll read verses 20 and 21. He says, But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So, Paul, the apostle, is writing this letter, and this is one of his pastoral epistles, one of three. You've got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and any guesses? Titus, right? So he's writing to these young pastors, teaching them about the ministry, and 1 Timothy, uh, he's really writing this letter in 1 Timothy to kind of lay out some groundwork for Timothy. This is how a church functions. This is how a church runs. These are the type of men that you should raise up for leadership. Here's what you do in certain situations. As we come into 2 Timothy, um, the, the flavor is totally different. In 2 Timothy, we get to peer into the heart and mind of a man who knows he's about to die. So Paul is in prison, and he is awaiting his execution. And it's believed that, well, this is for sure his last known writing. So maybe there were some other writings that he did. This is, this, this is the last writing that we have from Paul. And what is he doing? Well, he's writing to Timothy, who he has called, in many places, a son in the faith. You're like a son to me, Timothy. Uh, it was a really father-son relationship. He raised Timothy up in the faith, taught him about ministry, had him tag along on missionary journeys with him. And so why is Paul writing this letter? Well, he's writing this letter uh, to tell Timothy, hey, I think it's almost time, Tim. I, I want you to come visit me. Um, I want you to come see me. Uh, come visit me in Rome as soon as you can. Can you please also bring a cloak? You know, I'm cold. Bring the parchments. I, I, I want to... I want to be edified by the word, you know. Um, so he's asking Timothy to come to him. But also I believe that Paul is writing 2 Timothy because he knew that he was going to be leaving a mantle. And somebody had to pick it up. Timothy had to pick up the mantle. And really, as you read through 2 Timothy, I would invite you guys, encourage you this afternoon that you all go read 2 Timothy this afternoon. It's an amazing letter. But it's also kind of sad because you read over and over and over, Paul mentions a number of different people who had deserted him and also left the faith. Uh, men who he had been laboring with and striving for the gospel with, they not only deserted Paul, but they left their faith in Jesus. Let me give you a few examples of this. In chapter 1, verse 15, he says that Phygelus and Hermogenes had deserted him. Phygelus and Hermogenes, names that are kind of fun to say, but we're probably not saying them right. I've learned that if you want to sound like you know what you're talking about, just say it really confidently, you know? So Phygelus and Hermogenes, um, this, is, this is what we're going to go with. But it says that they had deserted him. 
So friends of his, they left him. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it says, Hymenaeus and Philetus had began to teach a false doctrine and that they were overthrowing the faith of some. So men who had been laborers with Paul, we believe, now are turning their backs on the true gospel. We'll talk about more of those guys here in a few. In chapter 4, verse 10, this is a really sad verse. It says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, we know from other epistles that Demas definitely was a co-laborer with Paul. Um, He was definitely helping Paul plant churches and, and do different things. And it says here that Demas has left me. Demas, our, our fr- like mutual friend, surely Timothy knew this guy. And he says, Demas has left the faith. He's, he's loved this present world. He's not with us anymore, Tim. And lastly, in 4 verse 16, Paul tells Timothy, and as I stood on trial at my first defense, there was nobody who stood up with me. What you find in 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul, pretty much all by himself. He says, Luke is with me, but that's about it. Everybody else is gone. And as you read through 2 Timothy, you really get a sense that Paul is saying, Timothy, all of these men have left. They've deserted the faith. They're no longer striving after the gospel. They're striving after other things. They're no longer preaching the truth. They're teaching a false doctrine and overthrowing the faith of some, but not so with you. You will not do this, will you? You will not desert me. You will not leave the faith. You will continue strong, right? And so over and over in 2 Timothy, we read things like, so be strong in the grace of God, Timothy. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Remind the church of these things, and I charge you in the presence of the living God that you would be a preacher of his word. Hold fast. I'm about to leave. You need to pick up the mantle. You need to pick up the mantle, and don't you dare leave the faith. Don't you dare depart. And I'll be honest that as a pastor, I've been walking with the Lord for, I was actually thinking about it, this makes me feel old, for a little over 20 years. Um, Some of you guys are like, wow, I didn't know that he was past 20, but yeah, it's been a while. Um, I have a young face. Um, And I'll be honest, I I feel what Paul feels. Now, obviously, I'm not on trial. I'm not awaiting my execution, but over the last 20 years, I've, I've watched close friends come and go. I've watched co-laborers depart the faith. I've had best friends leave, not just me. More importantly, they've left Jesus. And, and I, I feel like Paul, where it's like, man, I've known too many, there's too many people that have walked away from the Lord and it's not gonna be you next, is it? It's not gonna be you next, is it? I've had too many friends leave their wives for another woman. I've had too many kids come through the youth group who, when they graduate, decide that they don't want to follow Jesus anymore. And maybe it's just a few, but one is enough, isn't it? One is enough. And as I look out among this gathering, you know, I'll just confess, uh, I, I don't know most of you guys, but not so with you. Not so with you. Don't you dare walk away from the Lord. Don't you dare depart from the faith. You stand strong with Jesus. You be diligent. You hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Be strong, not in your flesh, 
not in your own strength. You be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus alone. Be kept by him. Don't depart. Don't be added to my long list of friends that have come and gone and have left the faith. Stand strong in the Lord. You know, I, I confess, I don't know many of you guys. I don't know your struggles. I don't know what battles you're facing. But what I do know is that there is nothing more precious about you than your faith in Jesus. There is nothing of more value and importance about you as an individual than your walk with the Lord. And there should be no trial, no teaching, no philosophy that would be so great as to cause you to walk away from him. I've known too many people who've done so. And so Paul is at the end of his life and he's looking back and he's thinking, man, Hymenaeus, Philetus, Hermogenes, these guys are no longer with me. Demas, of all people, he's left me, but not so with you, Timothy. Not so with you and not so among us. We need to be strong be strong in the grace of the Lord. Be a student of God's word. And if you're moved away from anything, be moved away from worldly philosophies and fleshly desires. Don't be moved away from Christ. Don't be moved away from Jesus. Don't be another person on my list. And I hope that we receive this morning, just maybe be refreshed in the knowledge that there is nothing so important about us as our faith in Jesus. And so here in 2 Timothy verses 20 and 21, Paul had just finished telling Timothy about Hymenaeus and Philetus. And he tells them they've not only left the faith, but they're actually teaching a false doctrine and they're leading other people astray. So read with me in verse 18. 2 Timothy 2.18, he says... Well, let me read verse 17. He says, And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. And so we don't know exactly what this was, but they were teaching false things about the resurrection. And it was heresy. So much to the point that this doctrine, they were getting other people to believe it, and it was overthrowing their faith. Then he says in verse 19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So on the one hand, you have Paul telling Timothy, there's these men who've departed from the faith. They've stopped holding fast to sound doctrine, um, and they're preaching wrong things about the Lord and overthrowing the faith of other people. And at the same time, the Lord still knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are truly following him. The Lord knows those who are um, after his heart. And then he gives an earmark of those who belong to the Lord. So the solid foundation of God stands. The Lord knows those who are his, first and foremost. But the second thing that he says is this, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So an earmark of those who belong to the Lord is that they're walking in holiness and righteousness and they're, they're sinning less. 
They're departing from the iniquity that had previously bound them. And it's within that context, the context of Hymenaeus and Philetus are teaching a a bad doctrine. They're overthrowing the faith of some. The Lord knows those who are his. Those who are his are departing from iniquity. It's within this context that Paul begins to talk about vessels. And he says this, I'll read the verses again. Verses 20 and 21, but in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So Paul puts in our minds the picture of a great house. Just imagine, you know, a a wealthy house during this time where there's a master of the house with servants. And he says, in this great house, then there are many different kinds of vessels. There's vessels of gold, there's vessels of silver, there's vessels of wood, there's vessels of clay. So think like jars and containers and cups and things like that, stuff that holds, that would hold something, right? Hold liquid or or some other things. And he says, there are some of these vessels that are used for honorable things, right? So if it's a gold vessel, you're going to put that thing on display, aren't you? You're going to take that vessel out and uh, use it for like really particular special purposes. I think of my wife has like a set of fine china that has been handed down to her from her great grandmother. Okay, she wants to put that on display. She wants people to see it and she's going to be careful with it. She's going to take it out, use it for uh, particular special purposes. It's not just going to be like, hey, we're eating sloppy joes tonight. Let's take out the fine china, you know, like nobody would do that. Maybe maybe a guy would do that. Um, None of you ladies would do that, right? Um, And so that's the idea. Uh, There's some vessels used for honorable good things. There's some for dishonorable things. So if it's a vessel of wood or clay, I mean, you're not going to bust that out for the fine china dinner. You might even put garbage in those. You might even just put the leftover scraps in, in that. And so this is the idea. He says you use different vessels for different things. They're both vessels. They both hold things but they're used in different ways. One is an honorable use. The other is a dishonorable use. And so the right question to ask is, well, what does this represent? Does this represent the world, where in the world there's believers and unbelievers? Um, I think that that may have some merit to it. Or does it represent the church? Now, within the church, you have um, these different types of vessels, or is it a combination of both? Well, I believe that it's speaking primarily about the church because of the context within which Paul is talking. So he's talking about those who have been leaving the faith and departing the faith, and they might be going to churches, but they're preaching a false doctrine. Well, this would be dishonorable use. And then at the same time, you have those that are truly following hard after the Lord, that they're walking in the truth. They're not getting swept away into bad doctrine. They're holding fast to the pattern of sound words, and they're being used for honorable purposes. In Matthew 13, Jesus told a parable about the kingdom of God, and he said the kingdom of God is like a field. And in this field, you've got the farmer, and he goes and he sows good seed. And uh, at night, his enemies come in, and they sow a bunch of tares among the wheat. And when the, the, 
the plants start to spring up. They see that there's tares with the wheat and the servants come to the master and they say, hey, should we just pull up those tares? And he says, no, 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 don't do that unless you pull up the good with the bad. What you need to do is wait until harvest time. And Matthew 13, 30, let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the good tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so what is he saying? Well, within the church, you have this. Within the church, you have those who are following the Lord. They're the good seed, right? They're following the truth of God's word. And at the same time, you have those that are not, for whatever reason. Maybe there are people um, that are just playing church. I hope and pray that in this room, that every single one of us is that good seed, right? That we're following hard after the Lord. That we're producing good fruit. But maybe there are some here who are just playing church, Maybe there are some here who are getting caught up in false doctrine and ideologies and philosophies that are worldly and not according to Scripture. Maybe there are some here that are wolves in sheep's clothing. And Jesus said, let them both grow together. There's going to be a separation at the end. I'll separate them out at the end. I know, I know those who are mine, right? The firm foundation of the Lord stands. And so in a great house, you have both kinds of vessels. One that's used for honorable purposes and one that's used for, that's being used for dishonorable purposes. And so what is the difference between the two? Like, how do you be a vessel for honor? Because I, I think as we say that, I would hope that every single one of us is like, well, I don't want to be a vessel for dishonor, right? I don't want to be used for dishonorable purposes. I want to be used for honorable purposes to the Lord. Okay, well, he gives hope. How can we do that? How can we be used for honorable purposes by the master of the house? Who's that? That's Jesus, right? What do we do? Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, I don't want to say latter because it's confusing, the latter, right? Um, he will be a vessel for honor. If you cleanse yourself from those dishonorable things, the Lord is going to use you for honorable purposes. So what do we cleanse ourselves from? Well, this is, I might be splitting hairs here. You're not cleansing yourself from sin because Jesus is the cleanser of sin, okay? Uh, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? And to cleanse us. But how does that cleansing come? That cleansing comes by confession. That cleansing comes by being in agreement with Jesus that this thought, this philosophy that I've been going after, this action, those words were what? Sinful. And what happens when we confess? Then the cleansing comes. And so when he says to cleanse yourself from those dishonorable things, I believe what he's saying is that you're coming into agreement with Jesus that those are sinful things. Those are sinful things, and you don't want to walk in them anymore. So cleanse yourself from the lie that you're believing. Cleanse yourself from the false ideology. Cleanse yourself uh, from falsehood and not walking in the truth and, and maybe hearing the word, but not being a doer of the word. Cleanse yourself from these things and go to the foot of the cross and confess your sin in agreement with Jesus. And what do you find there? Cleansing, forgiveness, 
And it says what? That he's not only faithful to do this, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness, meaning that not only will he do it, but it is a right thing for him to do it because of the price that he paid on the cross, faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And so be, be sure that you're cleansing, that you're finding that cleansing, that you're coming to the Lord and allowing him to bring about this cleansing in your life, that you're not rejecting the word of God and believing a lie or a false doctrine. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it tells us to beware. In other words, be on your guard. Be ready. Beware. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you're complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. He says, beware. Beware. Don't let anybody cheat you. Don't let anyone steal your reward. Don't believe the lie. Base your life, base your, your way of thinking upon the truth of God's word and nothing else. Everything else can be rejected. And if you are deceived and not walking in the truth of the word of God, then I just, I have to say, you're not going to be a vessel for honor. So when we talk about those things, and I think, I hope that all of us just resonated and said, yes, I want to be used for honorable purposes, but unless you're willing to, to do that, then, then it's not going to happen. Come to the Lord and find that cleansing, and then you will be a vessel for honor. Walk in the truth. Don't believe the lie. Listen, I talked about all of those friends that I've had that have walked away from the Lord. Do you know what I found in every situation why they walk away? In one way or another, they're believing a lie. They're believing a lie. They're believing the lie that this relationship with this unbeliever is really what's going to satisfy me. They're believing the lie that this sin uh, that I'm clinging so tightly to is of, of greater value than my walk with Jesus and I'm not willing to part with it. They're believing the lie of false ideologies and doctrines. But it goes back to that. They're, they're believing a lie. So Paul says, cleanse yourself. And you find cleansing when you come to the knowledge of the truth and walk in it and walk in it. And so he says here, when we do this, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Those three things, sanctified, useful, prepared for every good work. I'm going to talk about those three words, but before I do, let's talk about this word honor a little bit. Um, this is the Greek word time, and it literally means to set a value upon something, so, or to set a price. So just imagine like a, a shopkeeper, uh, who has a bunch of trinkets. He's got a bunch of stuff that he's selling and he's going through and he's putting a price tag on each of his things in his shop. This is worth this, this is worth this, this is worth this. Some are worth more, some are worth less. Okay, well, he's ascribing value or honor to that thing. So Paul says here that there are vessels of gold 
Vessels of silver, vessels of wood, vessels of clay. Some are more honorable than others. Some are more valuable than others. Some are being used for more valuable purposes than others. And so just imagine with me for a second. Let's say that I have up on the stage here a golden bowl, and next to it I have a wooden bowl. Which of those two vessels is more valuable? Yeah, this is not a trick question, by the way. Um, So (laughs) it's the wooden one. No, it's not. It's the gold. We all know it's the gold. But why do we all know that? Well, it's precious. It's maybe it's rare. Um, I was talking with a brother earlier. It's, It's been purified, all of these different things, right? At the end of the day, though, gold is more valuable than wood because we've said it is. Right? Because we've said gold is more valuable so we can put a higher price tag on it. I don't even know how much gold is going for for an ounce, but it's a lot, right? Um, and then we can just go and, and get wood anywhere. Um, there's nothing intrinsically better about gold than wood. It's not that gold holds water better than a wood vessel would hold it, right? Um, they can both hold a cup of water for me to drink just the same way. But because we've said gold is more valuable, um, it is. It is, and we all know it. Let me put it to you like this, and I'll I'll use a picture here. Um, And I'm about to get vulnerable. I'll invite you guys into the home of Daniel and Megan Weeks, okay? Um, Do you guys want to see one of Megan's most valued possessions? You guys ready for this? All right, I have it here with me. This is Blackie. Look at Blackie. Um, I hear you guys laughing and you're like, that's her most valued possession? By the way, I didn't just steal Blackie and use this to embarrass my wife. Um, it's actually her idea. Um, but I will say this, like, you know, Blackie lives in a drawer. Um, he doesn't live in our bed. <laughs> he, you know, he, he only comes out for special occasions, right? Like, it's, it's occasions like this. Um, so it's not like he's a big part of our life. But uh, you look at Blackie and, and you're like, well, what's, what is it? Like, I don't, I don't know. If, if Megan didn't tell me what this was, I couldn't have told you that it's supposed to be a black-footed ferret, okay? What's ironic is that it has white feet, um, but that's fine. When I was teaching this for the youth, somebody said, is that a panda? And I was like, I don't think you've ever seen a panda before in your life. But um, that's okay. Uh, good guess. No, it's a black-footed ferret. It's, you look at it, it's, he's seen better days. Like, he's got neck issues here. He's had some major operations, right? You can see the stitching in the back. Um, point is this. If I were to give Blackie to you, like, let's say it's your birthday, and I gave Blackie to you as your birthday present, you'd be, like, offended. Like, what, what is this? Like, I, don't even, I can't even tell you what it is other than maybe a stuffed animal, you know? Um, if I was selling Blackie at a garage sale... I would have to pay you to take him. Like, you, nobody would take Blackie, right? I would have to, here's $5 and Blackie, please, please go. But listen, to my wife, this is one of her most valued possessions. To us, we look at Blackie and we're like, what's the big deal? But to Megan, the Blackie was given to her by her favorite aunt. Um, Blackie was with Megan through uh, difficult childhood and hard nights and... Um, And so, yeah, here's Blackie. 
And my wife has said, if our house were to catch on fire, I wouldn't go for that computer. You know, I wouldn't even go for my Bible. I can get another Bible. I can't get another blackie though. And so what's the point? Well, the point is this. You might look at Blackie and not ascribe any value to it, but that Blackie, if I could use it like this, don't think I'm being weird, Blackie finds his value in the fact that Megan ascribes value to it. Does that make sense? Now take that picture and apply it to your walk with the Lord. Who are you? At best, who are you? At best, we are sinners. At best, we are broken at best, we are, were dead in our sins and trespasses. And yet, the Lord has ascribed worth and value to your life, not because you're deserving of it. The, the opposite is true. You're not deserving. You're not worthy. And yet the Lord says, I value you. How much does the Lord value you? What is the price that the Lord has set upon your head? He shed his blood for you, didn't he? He paid the highest price to make sure that you could be his. Are you valuable to the Lord? Oh, yeah, you are. And it's not because there's intrinsic value in you. It's because he set a price upon you and he said, you're precious to me. And I'm not going to get another one of you. And I want all of you. And so I'm going to go to the depths to make sure that you could be mine. That is amazing. And you guys, let me just encourage you that you would find your identity in that. Find your identity in the fact that you have a maker, a creator, a savior who has said, I value you and I love you in spite of you, in spite of who you are. And so I'm walking a fine line here because I really don't like, you know, even there are sometimes worship songs that talk about, well, I'm, I'm worthy and I'm strong enough. No, you're not. You're not worthy and you're not strong enough. And yet in spite of these things, the Lord has placed his price tag upon you. And what is that? Well, he shed his blood for you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How valuable are you to the Lord? You're a vessel for honor. What does that mean? He set his price tag upon your life and he paid for you with his very blood. And let me just encourage you, we often get caught up in our own heads and how we perceive ourselves and self-image and blah, 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 all of these different things. And we get depressed and anxious and have uh, terrible thoughts about ourselves or self-harm. And listen, I know that these are super complex issues and I'm not trying to just, you know, just wipe them away with, you know, just a quick, easy statement. So please don't think that I'm doing that, but let me encourage you that in those times of depression, that you would remember the value that the Lord has placed upon you. That you would remember that you're a, you're a creature loved by your creator and he cares deeply for you. You're a vessel for honor, for honorable purposes, and that's where we need to find our value. To somebody else, you may be worthless, but to the Lord... Man, he places his value upon you. Just like to us, Blackie may be worthless, but to Megan, oh. don't let anybody else touch Blackie. You'll see Megan mad. You know what I mean? And the Lord is the same way. 
He cares for you. He loves you. And that's where we have to find our identity. It's not in ourself. It's not in your self-image. It's not in your preferences. It's not in your orientation. It has to be in Jesus and what he thinks about you. And so again, when we walk with the Lord, when we're cleansing ourselves from falsehood, Paul says that we will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master and prepared for every good work. Those three things, sanctified, useful, and prepared for not just some good work, but every good work. Sanctified, useful, prepared. So let's talk about those. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, this word, in the Old Testament sense of the word, means that a person or a thing is set aside exclusively for God's purposes. So that you'd call this consecration. I've consecrated myself to the Lord. I've consecrated this thing to the Lord. What are you saying? Uh, I am to be used exclusively for God's purpose. And so in the temple, there were all sorts of utensils and all sorts of vessels. And the Lord basically said to them, you can only use these in the service of me. It's exclusive. You, you can't just take this silverware out. You can't just take this cup out and, you know, go have dinner with it at your homes. No, it has to stay in the temple. It's used exclusively in my purposes. Exodus 40, verses 9 and 10, the Lord is saying this exact thing. He says, you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it, and you shall hallow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. He's saying, you can only use these things for this purpose. Consecrate it, right? And listen, if the Lord is concerned in the Old Testament about forks and cups and utensils like that, how much more must he be concerned about you, a member of his church, a living stone in his new temple? to be consecrated to the Lord, set apart for his services as a servant of the Lord? Do you view yourself as being set aside for his glory? Do you view yourself as being set apart exclusively for his purposes? Oftentimes we have it in our mind of like, well, I can go, I have my hobbies and my desires and my wants over here in this part of my life. And then I've got my church part of my life and that's devoted to the Lord. But listen, it has to be everything. You're a vessel for honor. And if you are a vessel for honor, you must be set aside your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole body set apart exclusively for the purposes of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul tells us that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, it was a temple made of, uh, it was a tabernacle of fabric, uh, then a temple of wood and stone. But now he says, that's not how I'm building my temple anymore. It's you. And you're to be sanctified, set apart exclusively in my service. What's preventing your sanctification? What's, what's preventing you from being set aside exclusively for God's desires and his will and his purposes? Is it a person? Is it, is it a desire? Is it, I don't, I don't know. You're to be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart exclusively for his purposes. But he next says that we're to be useful, useful to the master. 
And that's an amazing thing, isn't it? Think about this. We serve the creator God. We serve the one who spoke and everything was. That's amazing. And then it says, and he wants to use you. God wants to use you. Not because he needs your help, but because he wants to use you. And you guys, I will, maybe some of you who've walked with the Lord for a long time, you can testify with me. There is nothing so great as knowing I've been used by the Lord. There's no greater joy. There's no greater satisfaction, no greater fulfillment than to know God is using me. He's using me. And you are a vessel for honor. And when we think about vessel for honor, Jason actually mentioned this morning after worship, the Lord didn't just put you away. So you're not one of those vessels that we all have in our house that you're like, well, that just got lost in the cupboard somewhere. Like it's years down the road and you're like, oh, I didn't even remember that we had that. You know, that's not how the Lord is with you. You're a vessel for honorable purposes. He doesn't just put you on the shelf. He wants to use you. He wants to use you for his glory and for his purposes. Life at its highest is a life of service to the Lord. There's no greater joy. And lastly, he says that you are prepared for every good work, sanctified, set apart, useful. Now he says that you are prepared. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God has actually prepared good works beforehand for us to walk in. What does that mean? That means that he's got a call on your life. That means that he has works in mind for you to be walking in, but he doesn't just give you some impossible task. No, it says here, if you're a vessel for honor, God is preparing you for those prepared works. He's equipping you. We're equipped for what the Lord has called us to, and so we're to be a vessel for honor in the master's house, sanctified, useful, prepared. And those are things that we should be deeply concerned about, shouldn't it? We should all want exactly what the Lord wants from us. So if there's anything preventing you from being a vessel for honor, from being sanctified, from being useful, from being prepared, what is it worth? is it worth? Because let me say this. If you're going to live your life chasing after weird ideologies and doctrines that don't line up with scripture, if you're going to live a life of chasing after your sinful flesh and your, your own desires and you couldn't care less about what the Lord wants and you're maybe just coming into church and you're hearing the word, but you're not actually doing the word, you're not going to be one of those vessels that's used for honorable purposes. And that should concern us. I realize that that's a, a heavy statement, but let's make sure that we're cleansing ourselves. Let's make sure that we're walking in the truth. Let's make sure that we're presenting ourselves to the Lord as his possession for his works and for his glory. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and make your way up here now. And you know, Let's just have a time of response here. We've got a few minutes. Maybe you need to have a let's come back to Jesus moment. Okay, we'll do it. Don't, don't let anything hinder you. Maybe you've never come to faith in Jesus before. Can I just tell you that there's nothing better than knowing the Lord? The Bible tells us 
that a person can be saved if they call out to Jesus in faith and confess your sin and confess that he is Lord and Savior and that he's been raised from the dead? You can do that right now. You can do that in this moment. You can just say, I believe that. I believe that this is who he is and you will be saved. And any who call upon the Lord will not be put to shame. Maybe you are a believer and you just feel like, I want that. I want to be used by the Lord in that way. But I have to be honest, I've been filling my life with garbage. It's time to get right. The time is short. The time is short. Come to the Lord. Confess your sin. Maybe during the song, you need to just come up to the altar and kneel down and give yourself afresh to Jesus. We're gonna be up here for prayer. If you need to come and receive prayer from, from your brothers and sisters, we'd love to pray with you, but let's not leave without getting right with the Lord. And maybe you're like, I know I'm walking with the Lord. I'm not convicted by by any sin, really. I know that I've been faithful in my walk with the Lord. Praise the Lord. I hope that's true for all of us. And let's just continue to refresh ourselves in the presence of God and pray that we would never walk away. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord. You are worthy. You are worthy of our full devotion and love and affection. Pray that you would just draw us close to you, Lord Jesus, and that as I know we do, Lord, that we would find continual cleansing at the foot of the cross as we seek you. Just take a minute. You respond to the Lord. How is he speaking to you? You, you call out to him in your heart. He hears you. He loves you. He values you. Lord, we're thankful for you. I pray that you would draw each of us closer to your heart, Lord, in love, in knowledge, and in devotion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.